Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Brought to you by Leaving in the Ring. All boxing. No filter. Don't forget, we're, we're live every Monday night on YouTube and Blog Talk. Oh! It's another knockdown. He's not getting up, Jim. He's not getting up, He's not getting up. No, he's been knocked out. Giannato's Evan Rutkowski. He's a good boy, you know. Hello, fight fans. It is Wednesday, June 17th, and this is the Fistionados podcast on the Leave It in the Ring radio network. I'm your host, Evan Rakowski, former HBO Sports Marketing Executive, giving you my take on what's happening in the sport of boxing on your screen and behind the scenes. Email me at fistinatas at yahoo.com. Follow me on Twitter at fistinatospod. We are brought to you by Ring Magazine and ringtv.com. Okay, before we get started, a deep dive this week is sort of part two of this larger question of what are some of the issues boxing faces as it comes back. I will focus more on the sport at large here. Next episode, I will do a Q&A. As I haven't done one of those in a while, I'm sure there are a lot of good questions. I've actually gotten a lot of great questions from people either via email or via Twitter. Send them in because some of them are a couple weeks old, whatever. Send them in. I That's what I'm doing next episode. But let's get into the first review section we've had in a long time. Let's start with Tuesday, June 9th. On ESPN, we have Shakur Stevenson beating Felix Caraballo at junior lightweight. I think it was KO5. The show averages 397,000 viewers, peaking at 609K. It was the 33rd ranked cable show of the day. It was the top-rated show on ESPN And the only other show that even sniffed the top 50 was SportsCenter that directly followed it, which I will get to. I'm going to just list all the the ratings for these shows and then kind of get into a larger sense of, I think, what they mean, um, at least for right now. At least for right now. So on Thursday, June 11th, obviously on ESPN and also from Vegas – we have Jesse Magdaleno beating Yennefel Vicente, a junior lightweight by DQ. Adam Lopez beats Luis Correa in the co-main event. In a really fun fight, he won by majority decision. Show averages 311,000 viewers, peaking at 392. It was the 80th-ranked cable TV show of the day. On Tuesday, June 16th, we have Mike Plania pulling the upset over Josh Greer by majority decision. Also on the card, Giovanni Santillan squeaks by Antonio DeMarco by majority decision in a fight that I quite frankly had DeMarco winning, um, but 
this was a, a really good night of fights. At least these two fights, the two, the main event and the co-main, were really, really good. The show averages 350,000 viewers. It is the number 56 cable show of the day. Uh, let's discuss all these ratings together. First things first. I tried to kind of temper expectations last episode. Obviously, on the whole, these are not great numbers when you take a look at purely the raw numbers and compare them to other boxing shows that have happened on Fox, on ESPN, on uh, FS1. They're they're probably better than the most of the FS1, and Showtime is a little bit of a mixed bag. But here's why. Let's like these weren't really set up to be great ratings when you take a deeper look. And I think the narrative and I contributed to this narrative. I mean, the narrative is basically anything that comes in on sports is going to be helpful right now. Um, and it's going to do, you know, maybe not the bonkers ratings that that, you know, the golf did with Peyton Manning and, and, and you know, or Eli Manning. I, I don't even know which Manning. I didn't really watch it. But sort of a couple of weeks ago, any sports, especially if it involved a star, was doing better than it previously was. Now, we're starting to see some stuff. And initially, there were good ratings from NASCAR early on. That's kind of taken a dip. The UFC from Saturday night actually only averaged like 550,000. Granted, it was the prelims to not necessarily what was expected to be a major pay-per-view seller. But that's lower than a lot of the prelim uh, ratings have been for for ESPN. And, you know, you can sit here and say, what's going on here? Like, these are playing awful, especially compared to what ESPN was doing with Top Rank on Saturday night. Uh, Here's the thing. All of these three shows were the top-rated show on ESPN for its day. They were the most viewed show for ESPN on its day. The other reason why these are not set up to be major ratings sort of bonanzas, they're based on a four-hour window, or at least the two, the first two shows were. And the third was based on a three-hour window, but it went over by like 45 minutes. And they're really showing, at least the first show was obviously showing sort of true prospects or, you know, Stevenson's out of the prospect mode, but it it's showing fighters mostly in mismatches. I mean, the, you know, the, the first night of fights, we saw 51 seconds of boxing in the first hour of the show, 4 PM Pacific start time. I live on the, on the West coast. Like that's really early. Even if you're working from home, you are still obviously working at 4 PM. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's not, these are also not, Big names for any of these. I mean, Stevenson is by far the biggest name fighter, and he had the biggest peak. You know, I think one of the key things we've seen is that Top Rank has made some adjustments. The first adjustment, I love the adjustment to three hours. You know, obviously that show still almost went four hours, but that's because there wasn't a single knockout, and and every fight went rounds. Um, I love seeing that. You know, boxing traditionally doesn't do great ratings when you have to retrain the fan base to watch it, not only at an earlier hour of the day, but on new days. And these are two new days. I mean, the hardcore fan base will be there, but everyone else, it takes some effort. And it's just the fact that this is on ESPN 
And the way ESPN promotes a sport like boxing, which is not sort of an anchor for them, is they take a truly anchor piece of programming like Monday Night Football or basketball on Wednesday and Friday nights, and then they tell you that the following night, if it's ESPN basketball on Friday night, there's going to be top-ranked boxing on Saturday. So they depend on having a large audience and promoting the you know boxing to a larger audience. And literally, boxing is the highest. I mean, basically, the UFC prelims are probably going to be the top-rated show on ESPN this week. I haven't looked at every day yet, but based on you know what I imagine this to be, and then the top-ranked boxing is going to be the second and third highest-rated show. And the, at no point are they going to draw a huge audience. So, I mean, I think one of the bigger issues is no one's watching ESPN right now. And actually, what I'll get to this in a little bit. No one's really watching TV, not even streaming services right now. I think we're just at an interesting point in coming back from this pandemic as a country. Um, I do expect a lot of this to improve, especially as we get into – probably later July and August. I mean, in by August, I think, you know, ESPN will really be at the point where they'll be, have boxing on Tuesdays and Thursdays, NBA on Wednesdays and Fridays, and UFC on Saturdays. So they'll actually have some live programming by that point. They might have baseball involved too. I mean, we're, we were sort of at an inflection point where yesterday it didn't seem like baseball was going to come back. Today, it seems like there is a pathway to baseball coming back. You know, in some ways, like, when you just look at who's watching TV right now, the only shows that people are watching are news shows and cable news shows. I mean, Fox News, if you, I mean, there's like six or seven million people watching Fox News right now. And CNN and MSNBC are also doing great ratings. But everything else on television is down. And even streaming service hours are down. So I think, I think like the better way to look at this is that these fights in general are sort of a step up from what ESPN was doing on Friday night fights, which is obviously still on Friday, but you know, during the week, like Friday night fights, this is Friday night fights. These shows are much closer in nature to Friday night fights than they are to like a, a really quality Saturday night boxing matchup. And if you look at the numbers that Friday night fights used to get, these are better than those numbers. Now, it's on ESPN, not ESPN2. Um, you know, there are a couple of differences, but, you know, this is like we're in COVID-19 and it's a whole new world. I mean, I'm I'm not going to kill anybody on ratings for, for what we're seeing right now. This is just a whole new world. If you look at Top Rank, and also Top Rank is going first. There are some great articles. There's a great article on ESPN, great article in New York Times about what – they're doing with the bubble, I think it's really impressive. And I mean, if you look at what Top Rank is doing from a production standpoint, it's it's really impressive. It just really is. Like I, I've spoken to a veteran producer who who's worked on other sports who simply called what like he used the word heroic to describe what Top Rank is doing in in terms of how they're making it look. I think it looks better than what the UFC looks like uh, when when you watch it. I think it's. Sort of more modern. It doesn't overdo the look and feel. Um, the crowd noise thing is interesting. I'm not sure I love the sound effect of it, but I think the interaction with the audience is a really cool element. And if they can refine that, I think you'll see other 
places do stuff like that. You know, basically, in terms of overall presentation, this is every single sport is going to have to deal with, like, sort of have a reckoning with this, basically, except golf, which, which you know, I think there was the, the one hole-in-one shot that happened without any crowd noise. But, it, it you know, besides that, golf kind of looks really similar to what it used to look like, minus the crowds, uh, which aren't really a big part of it, and minus the crowd noise, which are in golf. They are a big part of it. But everything else, like the actual look of what you're doing, is going to be really different. Uh, you know, the first show, obviously, it comes down to there are some quick, quick, quick KOs, and then the, they had to vamp a lot. You know, they got that smoothed out by the third show. Um, I think the timing of that improved. I think you'll still see it improve. And I think by the time we get to some of the better matchups in July, we'll all be pretty happy that this uh, top rank went through this period. And I think there will be still a learning curve for, you know, PBC doing it on Showtime and Fox and, and Matchroom and Golden Boy doing it on the uh, zone when they come back, I don't think there'll be as much of a learning curve because top rank has really sort of, you know, bear the brunt on that. But um, I, I, I think this is, it's, it's a responsible comeback. I actually wish it would have started a little bit sooner uh, than June 9th, but I think it's very responsible and they're, you know, we're still seeing, we, we got to wait until we see that first really good matchup and until we get out of some of these larger overall TV trends that we're seeing with COVID-19's impact on this before we can get a lot of data. But you just can't compare what was happening pre-COVID to what's happening now. I mean, obviously, doing less than five, you know 500,000 viewers isn't good, but I think they will build up towards that. And, and as some other stuff starts to come on ESPN, I think they'll do better than that. But the um you know at least during the week i think when we get back to saturday nights we'll start to see some of the stuff that we saw pre covid especially as other sports return but you know for further evidences i mean a ton of people were watching the jordan doc hardly anybody on espn was watching the lance doc and the, you know the the baseball doc like they just didn't do well at all so um from that vantage point from that vantage point we're not doing you know i'd say slightly disappointing but i wasn't expecting a ratings uh bonanza so i still i haven't touched on the quality of matchups yet i mean they're, they're obviously not good and i've said this before i think you sort of get a pass for the first month and i think you know when pbc and 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 golden boy and matchroom come back they get a pass too i don't know if they get a pass for the first month because they'll have waited for a lot of their fighters to have full training camps, which we obviously haven't seen that yet uh, for these top ranked shows, but everyone gets a pass on the first couple shows, you know, like this, this is really, really hard stuff to come back from. So look, I wish more people were watching. It's clearly just the core boxing fans that are tuning in and some of them aren't even tuning in because you know, the, these aren't the highest quality matchups yet. I do expect it all to rebound. Um, and, and again, no one is watching ESPN right now. You have to take the fact that all these three shows are so high on the, like you can just watch the commercials. Basically, ESPN is giving all its major brands 
commercial time on this because these are some of the highest rated shows on it. So it's, it, that is one of the weird things about watching this. You're watching this, you're being like, wow, like these are, you know, more impressive brands advertising on this than we're seeing. That's because th- this is the best ESPN has right now. This is, that's what this is. So <laughs> that's why you're seeing some of that stuff. Okay. Deep dive. For the deep dive this week, consider this part two of that larger discussion that I mentioned from, from the top. What is like, and let's sort of, this week is going to be capital B boxing coming out of the pandemic. Like this is going to be a little theoretical of where the sport can go, what the pathway is to get there. Like really what I'm saying is how can we see, you know, maybe not more infrastructure in boxing, but I, I do wish we could see that, but just promoters working together more, you know, sort of the far end of the spectrum. Like could we even see boxing come out of this and look a lot more like a league than it does now? Like what are some of the conditions here? And I mean, Last episode, I, I laid out some of these sort of like existential risks that, that, you know, basically every sport faces right now, you know, probably except the NFL, that COVID has brought. Um, and some of these are like systemic things. Now, I've, I've talked a lot about why boxing can come back early and that it isn't a league, it's an individual sport, not as dependent on the gate week in, week out. I mean, we're seeing that with baseball right now. God, like that's crazy, you know, it's a crazy sort of fight between the, the owners and the players. Um, we've seen a couple fights now, that, like, like I said, this is a reset in a lot of ways. And, you know, last episode, like I kind of got a little dark, to be honest. Like, first of all, to update things from then, the ad market does seem to be recovering. Um, there still isn't a ton of data yet, but but there does seem to be... Brands do seem to be getting in line and, and buying uh, at least NFL ads as for right now. Um, what we're also seeing, which I touched on above, all TV watching is down, whether it's traditional TV or streaming services. And Bloomberg actually put out a great article on this summarizing the whole thing. But you don't even need to see the, Bloom, the, the Bloomberg article. If you just look at the TV ratings for every day, other than news shows – Every single other program sound like I've never seen this many news shows in the top 25 programs when you look down the list. Like when we, you know, basically in the past, there would have to be like, you know, I've been doing this show for a little over two years at this point, you know, probably two and a half years. It would be like there's a hurricane coming in when you see this many news shows or there's a like a major political event or something like that happening. Um, and now, I mean, you know, this, this is it, you're, you know, this is all people are watching and some of it's because there's no, you can't do anything else that's quality, um, just because of the way production works, it's tough to do it. And there's no sports and there's no, um, you know, we're, we're probably seeing the last batch of sort of produced television that, that is out right now. Um, that's part of it, but it's also part of it is like, People have been cooped up in their houses forever. They want to get out and do stuff. And it's not just because the weather's better, but it's because quarantining sucks. Like if you're like me and you're doing it with small children and no childcare, you want to get outside and you don't care about watching TV. And the news has really only been at the very least nerve wracking over the past couple of weeks. You know, it's, it's a really tough situation for a lot of people. Um, and, you know, it, it, 
like especially if you don't live in a hot spot like it's totally understandable why you want to get outside like you might just want to get outside and like go buy stuff or do something that seemed normal you know pre-covid like that i mean it's just stuff like that can explain this and i mean this dovetails into those top rank ratings like they seem low to the boxing fan and the crazy thing is there's some of espn's top rated shows for the week like that's just like that's what we're dealing with right now um if you look at other sports they all saw initial surges of viewership that was like wow you know nascar is coming back and the, these ratings are great and all that. but then if you look back in the last, you know, after the first couple shows or races or, you know, matches, it's, they're just not great. Like, and that would make, this would be a major concern if the streaming services were still up, but now they've taken a downturn in hours consumed. And I'm guessing what we will see shortly is they will lose some subscription numbers as well. And I don't think that's, you know, again, it's not a negative thing. It's just, you know, they had one of the biggest surges in subscribers, you know, as this whole thing started, you just got to expect to see some of that tail off um, and, and drop a little bit. And there is some uncertainty as, as if the, you know, will these big audiences come back? I mean, network and cables, uh, networks and cable companies, like they have a lot of work to do in order to get back the attention of those viewers. If they haven't unsubscribed, or to get back, you know, uh, cable subscriptions if, if people, you know, reduced their cable package or turned it off for a little bit. Um, the good news here on this is that there are several major uh, sports properties that are up or ha- are starting to negotiate, and it does seem like the traditional networks will get them. Um, it seems like the streaming services won't make a major push to get them. You've heard a little bit of noise from Apple, but... For the most part, that's what we're seeing right now. At least that's what's being reported. And like I said last episode, live audiences just don't mean as much to tech companies, at least for right now. So we don't appear to be headed towards some of the darker places that this whole thing could go. And I mean, that's good news for boxing right now. There's still a lot of uncertainty, but that's good news for boxing. So, you know... The first thing I want to look at sort of in this larger look is like what are some pathways to consolidation on a pretty large scale? I mean, I think this is probably unlikely, but I think it's worth looking at because the trends in a lot of under other industries, not necessarily in entertainment, but some in entertainment, point towards something like this happening. It may be the only way to survive for a lot of industries in a post-COVID world, especially if like one or two networks do end up pulling out of the sport in the next 12 months. And the big thing for me here is how could boxing look a lot more like a league? You know, let's be clear. There, there are major benefits for like the capital B sport of boxing, capital B boxing. Like one of the major pet peeves of mine is when I worked in boxing, Many fans who are frustrated or outsiders, and this is and, and boxing insiders do this all the time too. Like, you know, the outsiders would love to swoop in and comment, oh, oh, it's so bad for boxing. And, you know, again, like writers and other people, I mean, I'm, I'm probably guilty of it myself since I've left HBO. You come in and you say, actually, I'm probably not guilty of it because this is such a pet peeve of mine, but like, if boxing could only do this, it would be good for boxing. And 
I just not the way to think about it. Like there's just there's no sport more decentralized anywhere in the world than boxing. And every single actor involved in the sport is going to act in their own interests. So there is no one who's going to sit here and say, let's do something for the good of the sport. Like most other sports have some kind of organization that at least acts in the best interest of the sport on a high level and boxing doesn't. When I worked at HBO, like we never had to deal with a large entity like the NFL, which would always take into account what's best for football. Like what's best for the National Football League? What's best for football at the highest level? You know, boxing, when I was at HBO, we just had to deal with promoters and each promoter only really cares about what's best for me on this specific night because that was the way that HBO had it set up. But I mean, one of the important things to emphasize here is the growth into the mainstream that, that boxing has had over the past three to five years. And I don't mean mainstream in terms of fan base. I mean mainstream networks. And it has grown. It, 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 you know, Obviously, there are more eyeballs on it now than there were previously in, in total hours consumed, in total eyeballs consumed. But let's take a step away from that for a second. Boxing went from a sport that did well on pay cable – but had a model that sort of kept it in this spiral that wasn't good for capital B boxing. And to a certain extent, like even the biggest promoters, I mean, that's why PBC and Top Rank both moved on to network television because they wanted to get out of, you know, not, I shouldn't say get out, but not be totally reliant on pay cable. You know, now boxing is on Fox and ESPN and about to be basically a huge worldwide experiment by DAZN that, you know, to see if it can, sort of sustain itself as a catalyst for a worldwide subscription service. And look, Showtime is still chugging along doing its thing too. I mean, post-COVID though, and kind of with the assumptions that I went over last episode, like is this a time where we could see some consolidation of the sport? And I think the answer is yes. I mean, it could happen in a lot of different ways. Um, if there's ever a time when you're most likely to see this stuff happen, it's going to be in the next 12 months. Maybe not right away, but in that 12 to 24 month range, you know, for a lot of people who love boxing, if this was done the right way, I mean, the sport could start to behave like a league, like the NFL or the NBA or NHL or Major League Baseball, you know, hopefully not like Major League Baseball right now, but it, you know, this would be an incredible opportunity for the sport to grow. You know, I don't want to focus on all the benefits of it because my guy Kurt Emhoff has been over this numerous times. He's done a lot of great podcasts about it, you know. But clearly, how depending on how you restructure it, you could just make a lot more money by controlling how the product is televised and presented to consumers. I mean, this goes back to looking at all the benefits of the owners that you know the NFL teams realized that hey, if you work together, you know, sort of for better or worse, you control the system, like. I don't really have a problem with owners of NFL teams getting a de facto monopoly or a legal monopoly as long as they have a revenue sharing system with the athletes. And and look, I don't think both of these things would happen because that requires a lot. But I mean, I do think there is probably for the first time in decades, and I, let's be clear, I think this is a small chance, but I think there is a pathway here. For someone like an outside entity with a lot of money to just come in and literally just buy up every single promotion. I mean, this was a totally ridiculous concept four or five years ago. Pre-COVID, it started to get a little less ridiculous, but still 
really tough pathway to get there. Right now, it's not ridiculous. Like right now, you have top rank in PBC, and there have been public articles, you know, in, including speculation about both of them being for sale. And Bob Arum has actually talked about this publicly. I mean, PBC doesn't, they haven't talked about it on the record, but they don't, you know, Al Heyman doesn't go on the record for anything. So, but, you know, behind the scenes, I mean, this has been talked about. I mean, and it's really not ridiculous because Aram owns top rank and, you know, I'm, I don't know how much of, you know, I don't know how much of PBC that what Alan Rita owns. Obviously, Heyman controls PBC on a day-to-day basis, but these aren't like the, there's not huge boards here. There's not, there's not a huge issue of buying it. If you can if you came in and, and offered a ton of money for it, I mean, most smart people in the sport would speculate that top rank and PBC are the most valuable boxing entities right now. And both of them would be worth a couple hundred million bucks. And given that the boxing market is still at this point, I believe larger than the MMA market, probably still in the U S definitely worldwide. Although I haven't seen any stats on either of those in the last 12 months. Um, But the fact that the UFC is worth well over $4 billion dollars, but boxing promoters all together may not even be worth a billion dollars. It tells you a lot about the fractured nature of boxing compared to MMA. And I mean, what's funny is that if you wanted to come in with a billion dollars and buy top rank PPC Golden Boy and then some of the smaller US-based promoters, you could probably do it and still have a couple hundred million dollars left over. And that was even pre-COVID where like, the TV money was flowing. There was a lot of competition, but like there weren't these crazy anxieties that we're facing now. I mean, now we still, like I said last episode, we could see TV deals get cut a little bit. We could see some things get done for cheaper. We could see one or more places leave the boxing market in a real way. Certainly, you know, if the zone were to leave the U.S. boxing market in a real way, you're talking like how ridiculously easy would it be to organize because you would just have ESPN and Fox who obviously already work together and they're not looking, you know, to, to squash a place like the zone. Um, Showtime wouldn't be that hard because PBC obviously works with them too. It's kind of like, you know, you know, and I don't, I'm not predicting this to happen, but let's say in nine to 12 months, the zone does decide they've had enough of the U S market. I mean, it's almost like kind of easy to come in. And if you're a big financial fund, buy up controlling shares in a lot of these places. And you can even buy Golden Boy for good measure. Probably not Matchroom USA at that point. But it could be a really astute investment if you can consolidate them, make some structural changes. It could really lead to revenue growth for the sport. I mean, you know, this is actually, if you look at this, this is like why Waddell and Reed put a ton of money into PBC. They were successful in doing not necessarily the exact same thing in Formula One, but a version of it. Like if you can sort of control it and do what UFC does and get some monopoly. Now, fight or pay, let's put that aside for a second uh, because obviously one of the reasons UFC is so profitable is because fight or pay is a much smaller percentage uh, than boxing, you know, than it is in boxing. But like, even if you don't lower fight or pay, like significantly, it's kind of like, it's not that hard to imagine how to 
make the consumer experience better in boxing. Like you basically just combine the deals you have at Fox, Showtime, ESPN, and ESPN Plus, and it becomes easier to make good fights because you control all the fighters, or at least the ones that are signed with U.S. promoters. And like, you know, like I said, like you don't even have to try to depress fighter pay. You can just sort of keep paying the fighters decent money, like maybe not totally pre-COVID market, but you can still pay them good money, like where it was headed, I would say, pre-COVID, which is down a little bit, but still good. And if you want to keep pay-per-view, which you probably, you know, I would do that if I was doing this, you can kind of just make a full switch. You know, that'd be relatively complicated because each network is going to want to do a certain pay-per-view. and But you can make rotations and you might be able to do it a lot better because you can just make all the fights everybody wants to make and not have too many pay-per-views to sort of control the market. Like it's not overly complicated stuff. You can just eliminate cards that are competing with each other. You can better define your product on TV and you can probably get much better ratings on each network. Uh, I've talked about how sponsors is a great opportunity for sponsors. Well, if you control it all, you can get more sponsorship money and better relationships with sponsors. None of this is going to be fragmented. Like these steps alone would offer a really decent return on investment. And that doesn't even take into account how much easier it would be to like scale tickets sales as one boxing entity. Like I said, integrate sponsors better, do foreign TV rights better, build a digital platform better that monetizes everything better. I mean, it's it's really if you're one big investor. Now, the quite I mean, the, the reality is there's not too many investors who would come in and be able to buy all these things up at the same time um, because that would require a lot of money. But like, a lot of them are scared of the sport because of its history and everything. But like, if you're able to do this, I mean, just some simple changes like that wouldn't it wouldn't be that difficult to monetize everything a lot better. And like, these are the kind of things you would probably never see a big, a big swing like this pre COVID post COVID you could, I mean, you, you totally could. If that doesn't happen, like what are some other ways that there could be consolidated consolidation or structural changes? I mean, it doesn't have to be someone just coming with several hundred million dollars and doing it. I mean, I definitely see promoters working together more often, especially on the big stuff. Like, you know, well, I should say this on the small stuff and the big stuff, you, you should see this. I definitely see this. I mean, just look at what top ranks doing in June. Like they worked with a lot of smaller promoters, you know, putting on these weekday shows and the, the shows certainly have lower budgets, but at the same time, this is promoters working together. Like that's what this is. It's a good start. Like on the really, really big ones, you know, the, the Wilder Fury twos and threes and stuff like that. Like, I definitely think that stuff's going to happen. You know, would would we see this on the zone? I think Matchroom and Golden Boy certainly should be working together a lot more in the zone. I mean, going back to the bigger stuff, you know, for a second here, it, like fighter pay for normal shows is going down. And I've talked about this a lot, or at least last episode. I haven't really truly gone into it too deep, but I've talked about it a lot recently. Like it probably got too high in an extremely competitive market for champs or truly top level fighters, but like now promoters have learned when is the right time and the right fight to pay a fighter. You know, guarantees for bigger fights, maybe not overall pay, but guarantees will likely come down. 
this stuff was already starting to happen pre-COVID. It's definitely happening post-COVID. Like, how do these competitors work more? I mean, it to me, it's obvious for the big fights. Like, it's just pure economics. If if it used to be, oh, I'm a top fighter and I can make two or three million bucks without facing another top guy and just do it on regular Fox or ESPN or DAZN, like, that's just going to be reset. Like, maybe you might have another guaranteed fight on your contract or something like that, but once that's up, like, you're up. Like, you're not going to get that anymore. That'll be much lower. And once it all trickles down, like, the incentives to the fighters financially are going to be to make the big fights. And it won't just be from a fighter's perspective because of the pay adjustments. Like, this will be for networks, too. Like, we're talking about having a crazy schedule over the probably the next two years or even more where for networks, especially Fox and ESPN, like the traditional dates where they've had big events are just going to change. And it's going to be a constant changing, adjusting thing. And there's going to have to be financial adjustments for all sports when it comes to gate sponsors, everything. I mean, we're talking about major adjustments to the NBA and NFL salary caps uh, if they don't smooth things over. And this is like... You know, the fact that this even includes the NFL, it, like the, the NFL, like some of these places are talking like you might have 40 percent cuts if they don't smooth things out in uh, salary caps. And so this is something every single entity is going to face. And when it comes to, let's just say, ESPN and Fox working together, like I don't think they'll be able to devote as many resources to promoting a big boxing fight you know, I don't think we'll see anything like Wilder Fury 2 again. Uh, I think we will see some resources devoted to the bigger fights. But the big issue here is I think they'll just be less posturing and more doing because this is what everyone's going to face. I mean, we can include Showtime in this too if they're doing pay-per-view. Like if they do a joint pay-per-view with ESPN, you know, if there's a question of should you do it or not and you start to look at the alternatives, I think the answer is you just do it. You know, the real question is going to be what happens for the fights that are on zone where it's not pay-per-view. I mean, obviously, we're going to see this with Fury and AJ if everybody wins their fights. You know, I think you'll still see it with Canelo, with whoever, you know, his opponents are going to be, especially if they're not in-house at Matchroom or Golden Boy, because eventually DAZN's going to face this question, like, what's the best for their worldwide sub-growth once kind of we get into... You know, I, whoever Canelo's first opponent is, and assuming he fights Triple G next, like it, if they if this whole thing is successful, we're going to see this here too. If Charlo's the the next best fight for Canelo, like you'll see people figure it out. I mean, you can't take chances. You can't depend on the same things that you used to. And people will realize this. People will realize this. It may take a few months, but when you start to see what the other reality is, you'll you'll quickly move on. If if you can make a big fight, you'll do it. I th- I think that's real. I think that's very real. I mean, I think the depressing part of this conversation is what happens after the top level. And I mean, I'm not sure I see many of the top promoters who have the exclusive deals working together on the week in week out boxing. Like I mentioned before, there's the lower level stuff, you're going to see it. Um, 
But I just don't think – I think the days of seeing like the Ramirez-Hooker fights where ESPN send – you know, top rank sends a fighter over to DAZN, uh, but it's not a mega fight. I, I just that, – that stuff I don't think we're going to see anymore. And that's disappointing, but we're not going to see it on ESPN. We're not going to see it on Fox. We're not going to see it on Showtime. We're not going to see it on DAZN. I think when it comes to the, the subscription drivers for DAZN, when it comes to the pay-per-view sellers – you know, or maybe one show a year. You might see it with one show a year on ESPN or Fox where they do want to make a big push. You might see it. Everything else is just going to be in-house stuff. Um, and that's disappointing, but I understand why. It could end up meaning a lot of different things. I mean, but it will likely manifest itself in, look, this may not, this may not be very uh, consumer-friendly for free TV. For in 2020, I mean, pre-COVID 2020, I thought we were going to see a run of fights that was going to be very good, if not great, on regular TV. Not unlike 2019, and yeah, I mean, like 2019, I, I was assuming there would be a lot of junk fights too, but I think there was just going to be enough competition between promoters, not only for attention within their own networks, but also because many were operating under the assumption that one network was going to potentially drop out. And so if you have an exclusive deal as a promoter, you didn't want to leave anything on the table because you didn't want it to be you that lost your network. Because if it was someone else, not only would you be in a good position to grab better ratings for your shows simply because there's less boxing on, but you can grab up their talent at a pretty low price too. So how do I see this going? I mean, look, I think there's going to be some good boxing on in July and August and maybe September. Um, you know, maybe a little bit longer, especially if things get delayed or if this MLB disaster keeps looming, like who knows. Um, but then after that, I don't know. Like we're, we're, no one can predict it. I think it'll be a lot of retreating or testing the water, seeing what's going to happen. I think there will be really good fights on, but they're just going to be on pay-per-view. And that's, you know... I just think that's that's going to be where the big fights are economically. It just makes sense. And it might put a strain on the system, but that's for right now that's that's what the if you look at the risk reward, that's why it's there. There's there's no risk reward in going on to Big Fox. I think you're going to see a lot more Caleb Plants versus uh, Stugan Feigen Boots or whatever his name was. You know, or when ESPN does their version of that you know, it's it's blue corner, red corner with we know who's going to win. But that's one of the realities. You know, there still is going to be this competition, but but it's different now. The networks expect different things from boxing. And the promoters face different realities. Every single sport does. You know. In terms of the bigger consolidation option that I talked about, look, I think it's unlikely. I want to be clear on that. It's still really low percentage, but it's never been more likely, ever, or at least in the last few decades. Like, I think it's it's got it, it's probably been decades since there was ever even a chance for this to happen. And it took a global pandemic, basically, for it to even be a conversation. I don't think it'll happen, but it's fun to talk about. <laughs> All right, let's go to the preview section 
what I'm going to try to do here during these summer boxing events is record on Wednesday nights. So that way I'll have the ratings for Tuesday night fights. And then I can talk about the Thursday night action. And this will hopefully allow me to give much more accurate odds. Um, you know, the a good example here is the Santian and DeMarco fight closed with Santian being about a 5-1 to one favorite, which I didn't have last episode. The greer Plania fight closed with Greer either being a 3 to 4 to 1 favorite, but that was much different odds than 2 weeks ago when Greer was a 9 or 10 to 1 favorite. So I think that's an important part of it because the reason I give these odds is cuz I'm saying these are the fights you're watching. You're watching a fighter who bookmakers say as a favorite, you know, has a 90% chance of winning. Now obviously the odds really don't reflect that because they juice up the favorite and they usually lower the underdog odds. And there are people out there who can talk about this much more eloquently than I can. But the point is, this is what you're watching. Okay, so let's start with Thursday, June 18th, where we have Jose Pedraza fighting Mikel Espier at junior welterweight and then Gabe Flores Jr. fighting Josec Ruiz at lightweight also on the card, I find the David Kaminsky-Clay Collard fight very interesting at super middleweight. Pedraza is still like a 9 or 10 to 1 favorite. Flores Jr. is like 30 or 40 to 1 in places. I didn't see odds. I saw one person mention that the Kaminsky-Collard fight was under 2 to 1. I think that's a great one as far as uh, prospects go. Collard obviously is a prospect killer at this point. Um He's he he's a he's a really good fighter. This should be a really fun one. Okay, Saturday, June twentieth, on ESPN Plus from Mexico City, Emmanuel Navarrete is fighting Uriel Lopez at junior featherweight. I do not have a ton to say about this. It's a complete mismatch. The odds reflect it. Navarrete is anywhere from sixty-seven to one to two hundred fifty to one as a favorite. Moving on on Tuesday, June twenty-third, on ESPN back in Vegas. Andrew Maloney fighting Josh Franco at super flyweight. Christopher Diaz fighting Jason Sanchez at featherweight. Maloney's like a 14 to 1 favorite right now. I do think it'll be a little bit closer than the odds say, so maybe it'll close uh, closer to that. Fun fight either way. Thursday, June 25th on ESPN, we have Jason Maloney, his brother, the brother of Andrew Maloney, uh, fighting Leonardo Baez at bantamweight. No odds on this. Remember, it was originally set as Oscar Negrete, which was a pretty good matchup. Um, Baez will be as close. It's still a decent fight considering the circumstances. It does appear that Miguel Burchell is fighting on January uh, Saturday, January 27th. Unclear against whom, but that is one of those Xanfer fights on ESPN+. Plus. I expect that to be in the range of that uh, Navarrete fight where it's just a complete and utter mismatch. Let's end on Tuesday, June 30th, where we have Alex Saucedo fighting Sonny Fredrickson at junior welterweight. Saucedo is about a 9 or 10 to 1 favorite. This is a really good TV fight, in my opinion. It is well matched. It is sort of the perfect midweek fight um, to watch, and it should be fun. These fights are sort of, let's, let's just say that this is a symbolic end to phase one of boxing's comeback where everyone is probably more focused on logistically how this is going to happen. We're going to start to get title fights after this in July. There's some great matchups I, I'm excited about, like in 
you know, Baranchik Cepeda and Alvarez, Joe Smith Jr. Like these are great, exciting fights, pre-COVID, post-COVID, whatever. Next episode is that Q&A. Also, I want to say one, one other thing, and, and I think I mentioned this. Um, maybe I just mentioned this on Twitter. I don't know. This is what happens when you have no childcare and two, two young kids. Um, the Michaela Meyer thing, I think, was a really tough situation. She handled it with complete class. She failed a COVID test, went home quarantined, came back uh, or is now able to fight because she passed another test. I guess she did She did have COVID at one point. Um, she did not expose anyone to it. So when stuff like this happens, and, and this is, I mentioned this about the UFC thing, uh, when Jacare Souza tested positive. This is, if we want sports to work, this is how you deal with a, a positive test. This, this is how it's going to have to work. It's going to have to work where you trace, you isolate, and you figure out a way to ideally retest. I think that's what the NBA is planning on doing, retesting immediately. Uh, But those are good headlines. I mean, it's obviously not good that you tested positive. But it's that means that the system is working. And I think it's a credit to top rank and ESPN that they were able to do this and set up this bubble. Again, I encourage you to read the New York times or ESPN articles about the bubble they've created. And I hope other sports are as responsible as as they have been in doing this. I really think this is good. I mean, I thought the UFC had a really good system. I read their system and I think uh, top rank, actually, I think they'd have a better system. I think it's easier to control right now because they're doing a smaller amount of fights um, but what what they're doing is really impressive, and I can't wait for other uh, other boxing to come back. I can't wait to get into July and see these better matchups, and I'm excited to see uh, what the Zone and what Showtime and what Fox have in store because a lot of that stuff there are rumors, but not major announcements yet. All right, Q and A next episode. Send me your questions. Um, if you sent me a question in the last month or two and I haven't answered it, I would love to do it on this one. So maybe shoot me a reminder. Talk to you guys in two weeks. Did you get what you was looking for? Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.